Synchronized is sponsored by the Production Music Association, the leading advocate and voice of the production music community. Become a member and help us to fulfill our mission. Go to pmamusic.com and click on membership for more info and to sign up. Well, hello, Simon. That feels like yesterday since we spoke. Yeah, well, great to see you again, Ferry. Yeah, was it yesterday? No, it wasn't yesterday, okay. but it feels it feels it feels, it feels <laughs> like it. <laughs> well, we've got over the uh, European Cup loss now, so we're looking at the Olympics. Uh, ah, I don't know about how you're doing in Holland with all that. Are you interested? No, I'm not really interested in sports, Simon. Uh, the, the only thing that's really a very hot topic right now is, of course, the Formula One accident, or wasn't it an accident? But that's oh, well, that's, was that's that totally when Max Verstappen tried to ra- get Lewis Hamilton off the track? Well, I think it was the other way around, but I mean, that's, okay, yeah. yeah, yeah. The jury's still out on that. Right? Yeah, <laughs> at least they're both safe. That's the nice thing, isn't it? That's the best. Uh, yeah. Best answer, Simon. Okay, we've got two guests uh, today, and um, I'll just introduce them briefly, and then we'll go to um, ask them how they got into this wonderful business. That's a standard question that we start with. We have Martin Netfet from Studio Fontana. Hi, Martin. Hi, Ferry, and hi, Simon. Hi, Martin. Happy to be here. Great. And I just I just realized when I started with you, I am awfully, awfully dreadful, because I should have started, of course, with... The other one, and that's Juliette Metz from Encore Merci. Hi, Juliette. My apologies. Hi. It's okay. It's okay. Glad to be here with you. I'm fr- Hi, I'm Juliette. He's a very modern man, Ferry, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> He's postmodern. <laughs> I pretend to be modern, Simon. That's, that's something different, yeah. But even by alphabet, it would still be Juliet who should start. So That's I'm, true. I'm sorry. Yeah. Okay, well, yeah, rub it in, Martin. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, good start, right? <laughs> yeah, good start. Okay, we always start with a, with a simple question, and I'm going to start with Juliet this time, Martin, so you have to wait for a while. Um, Juliet, can you just give, give us a brief description of how you got into the business and what you're doing right now? Yeah. Um, I got into this business by accident, Completely. Um, I started working with my uncle who was working for a publishing company. Um, it was purely the core business, songs, French songs. Uh, and suddenly the company got um, was sold to Warner Chapel. And uh, we wanted to stay publishers. And to become publishers at SASEM uh, and everywhere else, you have to to register new new songs, new works. And uh, someone told us, "Hey, I know a composer. He's working in the production music business, and uh, you should talk with him because he might be able to um, give you some works, original works, and uh, you just uh, print, you you manufacture a CD, and you will uh, send it to a lot of people, and they would uh, use it to to put it uh, on, on TV or radio, and you'll become millionaire very soon." And so that's really yes, absolutely. <laughs> and so it it seemed a very good idea. So uh, we met this guy, and uh, he told us, "Oh, I know everything about production music, so I will help you." And uh, we just started like that, and uh, it seemed a very good idea because we knew a lot of composers, and uh, yeah, it's uh, we 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 loved uh, the the. The, the marriage between uh, music and image, we thought it was very nice to work with in, in this industry. So we started like that, knowing nothing, 
Uh, we had no idea of uh, the fees. We, we were uh, calling Coca Media, you know, Coca Media, Frederick Lebovitz. We were calling think, yeah. his company. Hello, I'm a producer. I would like to know how much I have to pay to use your music, just to have an idea of how much we we, we market we research. <laughs> yes. So, uh, so that was by by really by accident, but. Um, uh, it took us a lot of time to to, to receive uh, a lot of money from SASM because uh, when you start from scratch, uh, it's very complicated. But um, uh, yeah, it was uh, 25 years ago, I think, something like that. Um, and now we have... Uh, so the company Encore Merci has a, a partnership with BAM. I know you had uh, Pierre-Michel... Uh, uh, on your on your podcast before, so we put uh, the catalogs together and the the sync uh, the sales team together. Um, so that's it. And and apart from that, um, since two thousand and sixteen, uh, I am the the chair of the French uh, MPA. So for all music publishers, not just production music. And it takes me. It takes uh, a lot of time. So, but uh, it's really fascinating to enter this uh, this role and, and represent everyone. That's uh, wonderful. That's it. Well, I think we need. We, I think we need to write this down, Simon, because this is the first millionaire on our podcast <laughs> that became a millionaire because of production music. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, uh, Juliet. Thank you very much. Martin, did you also get into this business by accident? Um, it's a good question. I, I, I don't know. You, you, you tell me. So I got into the, into the business by uh, being born into the family that actually happened to run the business. So uh, my, my father and my mother, they, they, they started the business. And actually, we are going to be celebrating 30 years next year of Studio Fontana. And uh, I have really been in the business since, since uh, yeah, very, very, very early. Like, I think I, I was at Midem the first time when I was 17 or 18. I think I wasn't even uh, adult when I first uh, joined my father to go to Midem. Uh, and I was helping him, uh, you know, with communication because his, his English wasn't so, so fluent. So I was really, really in the company from, like, from very early, early age. Was helping with with uh, communication with uh, with our partners, with the original publishers and the sub publishers, and I was uh, helping with uh, with computers because I was always into into technology. Uh, uh, and yeah, so so uh, my parents started the company, and then about about uh, 12 years ago, we took it over slowly, gradually with my with my brother Jan, and uh, it's still is a family-owned company, and uh, our parents are still involved in the company. My father is still releasing albums on his, on his, own, uh, on his own catalog called Fontana Music Library, and, uh, and our mother is still involved in uh, running the finances. So that's, it, it, it's great, and at the same time, it's very, she's very harsh at me because of the finances, of course. Always <laughs> things that I'm spending too much and not being careful enough with the with the expenses, and she might be right, I don't know. And, and, and yes, yeah, so that's, that's, that's happened. I, I've been uh, involved in production music for almost, I would say, 18 years, something like that. So uh, it's, it's, it, for me, it's, uh, it's like absolutely natural. I, you know, like, I don't understand how people cannot be in production music, uh, <laughs> really. Like, uh, I don't know whatever, what that feels like. And so over, over the 
last, I would say, five or six years, we have uh, we have taken the company into multiple countries. So, so Studio Fontana is now involved not in only in Czech and Slovakia, where we were originally, but we are now also in Hungary. We have gone into Croatia and Slovenia, so going into the Balkans a little bit, uh, Serbia as well, and. Uh, now we have also we have we are also active in Germany actually since uh, beginning of this year. So we we are expanding, I would say, uh, quite a bit. So Martin, is that virtually or actually physically? You've got buildings and people in these countries. It's a combination. Mm-hmm. So it's a combination. Usually we start by by uh, hiring people locally here in in Prague in Czech Republic, and we are lucky to be able to do that. But uh, let's say in 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 uh, in Hungary. Uh, where we started uh, three years ago, uh, we now have uh, people in Budapest. So two, two people, two people are there. But we always hire. Uh, even when we are hiring here in Prague, we are hiring, let's say, Croatians or Slovenians or, or you know, German-speaking people. So it's always dedicated to that that territory. So and then it depends on the level of success and I would say level of. Uh, how much we have to service uh, the clients daily. So once we get, you know, large. TVs uh, or large uh, TV productions uh, signed, and we need to really service them, you know, daily. Then we will we will try to get people uh, in the on on the spot in the territory. So that that is our strategy. So I would say that's for for Studio Fontana, and then then uh, I've also I've also uh, started with 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 my with my partners to other companies. Uh, one is uh, NRG, which is uh, a neighboring rights group, which is an agency that collects neighboring rights royalties for production music writers, uh, or uh, I should say artists and performers, but these are not, not, not used that much in the production music industry. So musicians and whoever is performing on the production music uh, uh, recordings, because we saw, we saw with, with, with Einar Helde, who's, uh, who's a partner at NRG and who has been the first guest, I think, in this uh, in this in this podcast, and he, he he told me to say this that you know you have gone downhill ever since that first episode. That that was the <laughs> that was the, the, the you know the zenith of this of this podcast, and it has just been going downhill ever since. And he's right. So, he's right, Martin. You can tell him that. Yeah, I'm sure that he's now super happy that he told me that in a in a in a, in a joke, and now I've actually said it. You know. Uh, so that's 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 NRG, and then the uh, the other company, the latest one that we have also started, also very much involved in production music is Ames, which is a AI music similarity search company, and also now auto tagging. We might have a little time, maybe later, to to talk about that. Uh, and also, as, like like Juliet, I'm quite involved in in, in I would say associations. So in in Czech Republic, I'm actually uh, I'm a Chairman of the board of the Neighboring Rights Society, uh, and I've been I've been on, on the board for six years now, or or five years. I'm not not, not sure. I'm also uh, on the board of the Music Publishers Association here, and I'm running also the Independence Association, so the independent record labels actually here in Czech Republic. It's a very small scene here in Czech Republic, as you can as you can you can see, and uh, I've been very very lucky to be able to get uh, uh, into the Production Music Committee and now IPMG, which is what we are going to probably talk about the most, where I took over after Juliet, so very uncomfortable position to be in for anyone. And it's downhill uh, from there as well. Uh, absolutely, of course. <laughs> uh, absolutely. Yeah, so, and I've been doing that for now. I, I don't even know how, how, how many years. I think two years or three years. I'm not sure. Three years. We yeah, like because that. we don't know, but uh, three years. 
Yeah, because I want to ask a question uh, about that. Um, it all started, I think, as the European Production Music Association. Yeah. And then it moved on to the Production Music Committee. And now it's the IPMG, the International Production Music Group. Yeah. Uh, Juliet, can you, can you tell me, um, the European Production Music Association, was that started because Europe needed something similar to the PMA? Absolutely. Uh, it started in 2013 with uh, Edwin Cox from West One Music Group. He approached me because we met uh, during an international meeting uh, organized by the PMA in uh, Las Vegas. Um, and so we met and he told me, um, don't you think we could set up something, a uh, European uh, association, production music association, uh, that would be great. And of course, I'm always okay for this kind of project. So I said, yes, let's do that. And so um, we contacted uh, a bunch of people, uh, our original publishers we were in contact with, our sub-publisher we, we, we had good, good contact uh, with, and we decided to start with the first, I, I think the first meeting was in Paris, uh, and after that we had another one in uh, Rome, one in uh, Munich and one in London. And uh, during those meetings, we were all, so, so there were people from a lot of European countries, and we were trying to figure out what could be the best uh, way of doing that, uh, the structure uh, itself. So at first, we thought about an association, hence the name European Production Music Association. But um, in the meantime, we had contact with the ICMP, which is the International uh, Confederation of Music Publishers. So that's the umbrella uh, for, for all the, 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 the music publisher association around the world. And so contacting, that, contacting them, they, they told us that um, we could be a sort of a committee within uh, ICMP uh, and they would help us uh, to, to have some meetings and to organize things, to, um, you know, organize conferences uh, around Europe. And uh, so, so it uh, changes and uh, the new name was the Production Music Committee. And we had the first election to, to elect the 10 people of the board in 2014. We had the second election in two years after that and the third one three years, uh, two years after. So 2014, 16 and 18. And so that's it. And for the IPMG, uh, now the, the, the chair is, uh, is Martin. So I let Martin explain the, the concept of it. Thank you for that. I would also say that uh, even originally when we were discussing, uh, I, was, I was fortunate to be there in the 2013 or 14, not really 13, uh, we were discussing whether to, uh, to, to formally associate and there were two sides of that discussion and, and really it was split. Like the, 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 the pe people in the room were split between should we formally associate uh, or should we just leave this as an informal discussion discussion platform I would say and it didn't really go anywhere and since we needed more I would say more direct mandate to, to, to formalize and associate it didn't go that way and then we found a really good way with ICMP which and we have been very happy with uh, with that and with them for for years now though I would say that uh, we, we are at a point where we, we feel that we are at the, at the limit of what we can achieve uh, 
by just you know volunteer work and by just doing this informally because uh, I mean I don't know about you but uh, uh, you know there's so much more information and so much more things happening each day really and uh, the matters that we need to be discussing and dealing with there's just too many and it's very difficult to do that when you have a when you have a, just a board of uh, of you know ten volunteers who have their own businesses to run, which is essentially what the board of the PMC now or, or IPMG is, and it's very difficult to you know find the time and or for me to pressure the the other board members to you know give uh, give really enough time that they have uh, to our to our issues that we are discussing. So we think that it's it would be really or we believe that it's the right time now to uh, formalize it more, to professionalize it more, and also to give it more formal setting. So we are rebranding to IPMG, but it's not only a rebrand. We are formally, uh, we are starting an association. It will have a formal membership. It will have a member membership fees. Uh, just as a, there's no surprise, they are not going to be very high. So uh, we, we want to get a broad membership. We are not looking for uh, we would ideally want to be the association for all European, not only European, but I would say from the beginning, we are mainly focusing on Europe, and then in later stages, we will move on to other parts of, of the world. Uh, and uh, this, what this should allow us to do is that we are, we want to uh, hire, at the beginning, one person, uh, who knows what can happen later, but at the beginning, we want to hire someone that's a production music insider, a professional, ideally someone you know, very, with very broad experience in, in production music, someone who has either ran a production music catalog or sub-publishing or was in, in or was you know, a high-position employee in one of the companies, someone like that that would be actually doing the day-to-day -day of the association, because at this moment, we don't have that. So and the what's the day-to-day -day business going to be, Martin? So uh, the day-to-day -day business is going to be mainly, we, we want to gather and share information to our members. So that's, uh, be it through, through uh, newsletters, be it through uh, online events. Then the second thing is going to be events. We have been running events uh, even as PMC, but I think there's still room to do it better. And we want to also do it, uh, we want to do, I, mean, I don't necessarily think that we need to do that many more of them, uh, but uh, we want to do them slightly differently and also in different places. So we have been discussing, for example, doing a, doing a meeting in, in Asia with focus on Asia for, for a number of years. Actually, COVID uh, uh, prevented us from, from doing it already last year. Uh, it was a little bit of an excuse for us that the COVID came and then we were, I would say, kind of relieved that we didn't have to organize it ourselves as a group of 10, 10 volunteers. But in any case, we, we had that plan actually for last year. And uh, so that, that, that I think would happen. We have a yearly event in, in uh, November in London that has to run for, for two years now. We also meet in, uh, at, at Medem. And I think you know, all of those events could uh, benefit from having someone that can work on them really, uh, you know, can, can really put much, much more effort, much more time than, than we can. Uh, so that, that's another thing. We definitely do want to do more lobbying, uh, both with the, uh, you know, with the uh, European Commission, but also with the PROs. We have been kind of uh, helpful with that b before, but there's, 
I think we can do much more of that. I think we could we could uh, do much more work uh, with pressuring the PROs, uh, you know, around the world and around uh, Europe to really not discriminate uh, against production music and just help generally uh, either the local production music associations or just the individual members with uh, with any issues that they might be facing in their countries. And then also we, we want to work very closely with the PMA in the US because uh, I definitely see that all of the main problems that we have and also all of the opportunities that we have as a you know as an industry are all global now so so most of them we can't solve just uh, you know either here in Czech Republic where I am or in Europe but we need to solve them globally I think you have you have discussed this, discussed this here you know on your on your previous podcast there's the concept of territories is quite diminishing, I would say, uh, in, the, in, the, in the world where we are and in the licensing uh, sphere where we are. But we, as, a, as an industry, have not really adapted uh, to that necessarily that much. And I think that's one of the main threats that we have. And it is something that uh, we would need to solve globally uh, because uh, that would mean changes of, 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 the, of the, the licensing, changes of the sub-publishing networks, sub-publishing agreements, all of that. Can, can I ask, just throw out a, a question? How does a how does an association of competitors work? I mean, is it? It's a kind of macro question there. I'd ask it because my experience, Martin, like you, my company, Music for Sport, was founded thirty years ago next year, and when I joined it, Library Music, I was a composer, and I came into the business on really on the outside, and it felt a very comfortable club of people. Um, the, we had a rate card in Britain that meant nobody was competing on price or anything. It was kind of very comfortable. And now, sort of spinning ahead to 30 years later, the landscape's so different, and yet we're still, in Britain, still sitting on this rate card, and yet we're being undermined by massive competition. Um, my experience is not of associations is in sports teams playing sport, where the strength of a sport team is that each individual does their best and they work as a whole. Um, so I'm interested to know how, how an association of competitors in this day and age works. I mean, is it a sort of uh, a negation of Darwin, Darwinian theory where the strongest will survive? Uh, is it so that sort of, I don't know, some medium middle ground is achieved? Tell me, fill me in. I, don't, I really don't understand it. Sorry. That's an interesting question. And uh, I don't think we... we on the on the board of the uh, IPMG, I don't think we see ourselves mainly as competitors, even though we, we a lot of us are competing in the same territories. But uh, just generally, there are so many common problems and common opportunities that uh, we don't really, you know, we don't discuss prices, right? We we can't. We are not legally allowed to do that, and we we, we wouldn't. We don't even have a need to do that. But uh, most of the things that we are discussing are, you know, common for for all of us. And by solving those, we are all, you know. Uh, benefiting from that so I, I've never, I mean of course there are things where you know um, like some of the members will just say you know like I kind of have an idea on this but I can't really share it because this is you know this is I see this as an uh, advantage for my my company or myself in this space and that's, that does happen but it's quite rare I would say right. so so yeah, it's it, it's uh, and it's it's very rarely that we get into a, in disagreements or you know uh, arguments in, in in there really. It's like I think we we all feel what the the threats are, and then it's about finding the best solution and best paths that we can take as the industry together. So I know it's, it sounds like uh, 
maybe too utopian, but I, I really don't 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 feel that we have a problem with that. I think it's no, but you have sorry, sorry. Yeah, you have common problems, of course. Uh, a problem like uh, competitors with yearly subscriptions, low prices. Um, so, w what is the idea about that then, as a as the IPMG? If I can add something, I think it comes also um, from the fact that we all meet usually when we don't have COVID, uh, we have regular meeting with uh, with our original publisher and sub-publisher and uh, we've built a network of people working all together and sharing information and I think that our industry has come to a sort of uh, maturity, I can say that, yeah, it's okay, um, and, and we are able to see a sort of a common interest and not just our own uh, you know, the company interest. And, and I know it's difficult. I can see in France, for example, uh, when we, we launched the, 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 the French uh, Production Music Association, uh, at first it was really complicated. We were around the table looking at each, each other and um, it was not very friendly. Now we, we are very happy to see each other. We have a, a good relationship. We are trying to work together to solve problems, to f talk with SASEM in the name of uh, our industry. I think it takes time for me. It's, uh, it's not uh, very easy, but um, it takes time. But when you talk about problems, uh, Juliette, is, um, uh, with SASEM, then you probably talk about problems that all of the members have like registration issues or payouts or rates, am I correct? Yeah, absolutely. There, there are problems that uh, all the publishers uh, have and they are specificity for, for library music, you know, for production music. So we try to be the voice of uh, the, the, the production music uh, and it's important to have a voice, you know, because uh, if not, you are lost within, uh, you know, um, a, l a lot of competitors, a lot of publishers, sorry, um, and they don't have the same issues. Uh, they, they are not um, uh, paying attention to, uh, you know, small amount of money because they are focusing on the, the big, you know, big placements, uh, whereas we are... Um, we we are bakers, you know. We sell bread a lot, a lot, a lot of time uh, during the day. It's 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 a different business. So uh, I, I think it's important that uh, in each territory uh, there there is a voice for production music to talk with uh, the PROs. Yes. Sorry, if I can just add, add just just a little bit to, to this, you know, uh, I think as an as an industry we can't we, we can't actually afford not to have an associations uh, like these because for the individual companies to do uh, the kind of work that the association can is is impossible. Like uh, you can't uh, know everything about everything, and you can't know about the you know upcoming European legislation, and also know about the legislation in the U.S. and how it's going to affect you. And that's why you have uh, associations. And in in this regard, uh, I think we are we are very lucky that we are allied with the ICMP that we have discussed before and we are still going to stay there so even though we are we are establishing an association we will be a member as a uh, as an association of the ICMP so that cooperation will still continue and uh, you know we have a great working relationship with ICMP especially with uh, John Fallon who's the director general of ICMP and this I would say brings us 
it gives us much higher leverage as, a, as, a, as an industry, as a production music, than we could ever get alone. Because ICMP is, like Juliet says, it's the association of all the music publishers all around the world. So by definition, it's much bigger than just production music, which is just a, a small share of that, right? And then ICMP has enough resources and uh, enough contacts in, in, you know, in European Commission, in Brussels, to really lobby on behalf of the whole industry. And now we are actually able to utilize that for production music itself. And we can get into the conversations that we couldn't alone as an association. And definitely none of us individually as companies you know, could ever get that. Uh, guys, is, is there an argument for an association of um, production music practitioners? Because I asked the question because you're talking about association of music publishers and what Ferry and I have learned from doing this podcast is that we're talking to, we've perhaps talked to 20 odd experts, really people who really know their field very well in various different parts of the business. And whilst they know their areas very well, they don't join the dots between the different areas. And, and in a way, that's what we feel our job is. And so that is critical because we're, as, as a consequence of that, we're kind of all sitting in our, in our um, domes learning more and more about our domes but not seeing what's going on perhaps as, as clearly in the outside world. And if, if we could join the practitioners together, perhaps we would have a, a stronger chance of um, beating off the opposition, which is coming down the pike fast. I mean, you know, just as an example, I would say, before I ask the question again, we've asked pretty well all our sub-publishers, our publishers, what's your strategy against these disruptors and without exception they've all said oh well our music is much better quality than them so when we got one of the major disruptors in we asked them what's their strategy they said oh our music's much better quality than them so that's a complete red herring everybody wants to make brilliant music it's just not an issue and yet everybody seems to think it is um and if you know if we could join put those two groups in the same room together and, s and they could say that we just get past that issue straight away and we say it's a given we've all got pr to produce brilliant music um so the question again is is there an argument for a for a, an association of production music practitioners um that would join the dots i i think that um i agree with you um in in production music people are not always, but often just think their own business, their uh, little part of the business. And I see that for me, it's very important to learn from the other side, the core business, commercial music, because um, when they are um, suffering, we suffer more, you know. It, it, we, we have to learn uh, what's happening to them, how we can take advantage of what's happening to them, uh, what are their plans, what they are um, trying to achieve. Um, I think that um, for years, I, I, I'm talking about France, I cannot say for other territories, but I think that for France, for years, we've stayed in our, our own part of the business, uh, happy to be there and uh, not very interested in what was happening for, for the rest of the music industry. But for me, it's very important to take part in all the, the conversations. You know, um, there is um, sort of a motto for me, uh, when, when you're not uh, at the table, you're on the menu. It's exactly that. You have to be everywhere. You have to, uh, to be aware of uh, the discussions. And, um, and I strongly believe that um, 
for me, the only way to find how to to fight against the disruptors, uh, it's the law. It's the law. In in France, for example, the the copyright directive. Um, Something was added into that uh, by SASEM, uh, which uh, forbidden buyouts. So it's very new. It's the first step. We'll see what what happens. But you know, it's um, it's coming. Uh, I see that GESAC, you know, the the, the organization of uh, of PROs in in uh, Europe, uh, they are very very. Um, Concern about buyouts and uh, and a lot of things are changing. Uh, I think that PROs are, are are understanding that there is danger for them, not just for us. And so we have to work closely together. And for me, the law is the only solution. Well, well I'm, I'm sorry, sorry, it's your turn. Go ahead. I'm I'm, I'm glad that you said that, uh, Juliet, because what. Um, what we've seen in our territory, in the Netherlands, is that certain disruptors said, okay, this music is royalty-free, whatever royalty-free may mean, but this one was saying it's royalty-free. You don't even have to pay your PRO because it's PRO-free. And of course, nobody thought anything of that until they went to a television station and said, if you would use 10% of your music which is ours, you can go to the PRO and tell them you want a 10% discount on the bill from the PRO. And I think a lot of PROs don't even understand that, that those libraries are eventually going to take money away from them. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I know... I think you struck a chord with me there, Ferry, because I see that with a lot of the PROs, and especially in smaller countries, they are quite unprepared for this situation. And they, uh, quite often, TV is not their main, main you know, uh, area that they, that they understand. They might know much, much, much better the other areas, be it radio or live concerts, or be it you know, mechanical that has now almost disappeared, almost, but that, that has been you know, their, their, their domain, really, and that they've been much stronger. And uh, I, I still see in some countries, I don't know how it is in, in Netherlands, but in a lot of countries I see that they don't know that much about the TV and audiovisual in general. So they are quite surprised and I would say unprepared for this. And they are only finding out quite late. And I think it's uh, it's also our, uh, you know, our... Mm, I would say, our fault that we didn't probably warn them enough. I mean, like, I know that we've all tried and we have been discussing it for over the years, but maybe we should have been more, you know, more vocal about this, uh, what is going to happen. Because, I mean, it's not a total, you know, surprise that this is happening, right? I mean, we've all been... I've looked just for fun at some of the, you know, uh, minutes from our meetings in 2014 and... You know, it hasn't changed that much. I mean, the, the topics that we have been discussing in 2014, it's, we could just take that and put it as an agenda for our meetings in 2021. Yeah, but the, 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 P, the PROs, um, they, they didn't listen. They thought they were untouchable. They thought, oh, that's not, never going to happen. You know, yeah. who's going who's to supply a library and they can deduct 10% of our income? And it's and happening I, now. It is, and for example, here in Czech Republic, I'm trying to work with with, uh, with both of the societies to structure their uh, their you know tariffs and their rate cards in such a way that it it's not just linear, you know, or that it's just not not uh, 
it's not so uh, fragile when it comes to this. Also, in some of the countries, I see neighboring rights being the being the barrier from going completely uh, outside of PROs. So in some countries, I see that neighboring rights are actually non, uh, they, they can't be bought out completely uh, because of the equitable remuneration. Mm -hmm. And that means that at least these uh, buyout uh, catalogs can't go to the TVs and tell them you don't have to so you don't have to pay anything. They, they, they might have to pay at least the neighboring rights, which might be smaller, but still it is a payment. And it also means that they still have to send queue sheets. So the, these, these companies can't tell them you don't have to send queue sheet anymore because uh, uh, you know, like we are totally outside of PROs. And I see that happening with, uh, with in many countries, but it's, of course that's dependent on the local legislation. So something that what Juliet has been saying, uh, so the law is definitely one answer to that. To, to go so back also, you, you, so basically, sorry. you're trying to force them within the limits that we all have. Yes, I would, I would say so. I mean, like uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a big believer in the in that you know the musicians and the composers should be also part of the equation. Absolutely. So Absolutely. I mean, if 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 we want to keep them in the equation, I don't think there are that many ways. Uh, I mean. Eventually, probably, it will be getting tougher and tougher, but uh, you know, even if we delay it by 10 years, that's very meaningful to all of the people that are already doing that and you know, are making all of their livelihood from, from this industry and, uh, and that. So, and coming back for, to what Simon was saying before, I, I absolutely agree with you that uh, you know, the, the high quality of the music, that's, that's not an advantage. It's like you either are releasing great quality music or you are not going to be in the business, right? So it's an, it's an enabler. It just it buys you a place at the table, right? And then it's the other things that actually, that actually decide how much of a success you're going to have in the, in the, in, in the game. And uh, I think in this regard, uh, these disruptors have a much, I don't want to say easier, but they have an advantage that they are not tied with any of the legacy. And, and I mean, with the legacy, both positive and negative, because one of the legacies is that the, you pay your composers. That's a legacy, right, in a, in, in a sense. And they don't necessarily have that legacy. And I think that uh, uh, we could learn a lot from them uh, in some regards. Not this one, <laughs> just to say, uh, but uh, in, in other regards, I think that they are much more focused on the, on the client. I f still feel that there are a lot of companies in production music that feel that their business is about releasing music. And it's not about releasing music. It's, it's, it's about servicing the clients. It's about cl meeting, the, meeting the client's needs. And I still feel like, like for a lot of people, it's like, I'm going to release this great music and then you know, it's somehow going to find its way to the clients. They're going to use it. They're going to pay me. And that's just not how it is, right? And it hasn't been for quite some time. So this is not, this is not revolutionary. But I still feel that a lot of companies and especially smaller publishers kind of feel that that's what the business is about it's about yeah so well i, I completely agree with you there martin and when you know ferry and i what led to this podcast was because we have endless discussions about the business and we, we eventually decided to open it up and you know see get outside input but one of the things we're always agreed upon is that it's the client that's you know the single what what's the single most important thing for a music library to do is service the client and what so therefore, what does the client want? And we seem to agree that what the client, one of the main things the client wants now is to know how much their music's going to cost. So they kind of want great music and they want to know how much, could, they want to put it on their, their sheet that it's going to cost that much in a year. And 
that's what the disruptors have kind of nailed. They've, they've kind of said, right, for a, for a subscription for a year, this is what you're going to get and this is what you're going to pay. And they've done that because when they encounter a problem, unlike us, we sit down and we try and solve the problem. They go straight round it. They don't need to solve the problem. They don't have problems. They just have solutions. I mean, it's remarkable talking to Artlist how straightforward their business plan is compared to us you know we're trying to work within constraints that have been handed down to us from years ago and they're just not even they don't have to even think about them they're amazed that we're still dealing with these things no absolutely so we are at a disadvantage in that and i I would say you know this this fixed price thing is going to keep rearing its head and until um you know essentially we're going to have to compete at some point I feel. I don't know if you agree on that, but I think we're going to have to compete. You know, you no, can't no, no. you can't have one group of cars in the world that cost ten times more, and you don't know how much they're really going to cost, and then another group of cars that you know that's what it costs. It doesn't make sense. No, I mean, like I, I still think that it it can uh, function like that. I mean, like uh, if you look at the different industries, uh, I think what is happening in most industries that will get digitized and commoditized is that you have a you have a low end for everyone, and then you have a, a absolute high end just for very few and for, for very selected productions. So what you usually get is the disappearance of the of the middle. So. Uh, and I think that's what is happening in our industry as well. So you are you are starting to have the disappearance of the middle, and you will have. I'm I'm sure that there will be catalogs and individual composers who will be making probably even more than they are actually making now for custom work. Because if everything is going to be generic and everything is going to use the same, you will pay. You will be willing to pay even more to get something that's different. And you know, like uh, I, I have friends who are photographers, and that's exactly what happened to them. But you know, 20 years ago, it was very expensive to have a great camera and to do do shoots. So everyone had to pay a photographer. And now, with you know, everyone having an iPhone, which has a better camera than any camera 20 years ago, everyone is photographer. But still, brands and everyone is paying more actually than they were paying 20 years ago for the top talent in the photography. But the middle has disappeared. Like the the profession of like a photographer that goes and takes a snapshots, uh, you know, at a, of, a, of a school class or something that has almost completely disappeared. But you still have the high class, and then you have the low end, which is for everyone, which is your iPhone. So I, I, I see that happening in the music and music licensing, music sync as well. I'm pretty sure that you know, 20 years from now, you will be able to charge more if you are in the you know, top, not even 1%, but top 0. I mean, 0.1% of the best composers in the world. But the middle, which I think has been for a long time, the or no, I don't know if it has been for a long time, but I think that's where production music kind of is, that is getting more and more difficult. The, the clients who have like the, the medium budgets. And, but with that, you have much more opportunity at the bottom, and, uh, or you also have more opportunity at the top, where you have to be competing with more and more people. So I think it's about positioning yourself uh, better. What I, all, to, sorry, sorry. Just to play devil's advocate there, the car industry does not follow that at all. You can pay £1,000 a month for a car or on a lease, They've gone to subscription. Most people buy their cars on lease now, so it's, it's the subscription model is accepted, and you can pay, say, two thousand a month for your Porsche nine whatever, or you can pay eighty pounds a month for a small little compact car, and you've got every price in between. If you look at a leasing company, they've literally every price goes up between that, and there's a certain amount of negotiation you can do because you can play one company against another, but essentially it's it's nailed, and there is a massive middle. 
There's a small top right, no, and there's no, a small but, bottom, but, but there's a massive I, middle. I totally agree with you, but I said that this happens in industries that go through digitalization and commoditization, which goes hand in hand. Once you take something that has been very much, very much physical and analog in, in, in its origin, so like music, which was tied to the recording studio, and how much did it, how much did it cost you guys to start your studio 20 years ago wow. or, or 30 years ago? And you probably still painfully remember how much it costs you, right? I, I know from my father how... Uh, still paying, yeah, it's still, <laughs> yeah, and, and, and now you don't have that, right? You can, you can literally do, uh, have a hit uh, that you're going to do on your, on your iPhone now. So it has gone through this phase of digitalization, democratization, and commoditization. And if you have all of those in an industry, it, it is going to follow this, this, this curve. Cars are different, they are still physical. Uh, yeah. The thing that, that struck me is you just mentioned um, uh, we should concentrate on the client, you know, what the, what the client needs. Um, and I think that uh, what the disruptors have done brilliantly is they've done that, but they also took our B2B, business-to-business -business model, to a business-to-consumer model. So they increased their market by probably a million-fold or something like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, no, absolutely. I've, you know, you have discussed here on the on the previous podcast. And by the way, I'm, I'm super happy that you have started this 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 podcast. Just just to tell you, I'm a, a huge fan and super happy that that someone have, has done it and that you have done it really 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 well. And I, you have discussed, uh, you know, before this uh, topic, why does how, how does epidemic merits the the valuation that they have? And you know, I think the investors are looking for the for the story and they are looking. They are not. It, it doesn't merit devaluation on the on the finances that they have now, but they are probably seeing something in their in their numbers that merits this valuation ten years down the road, and they are betting that they are going to have that valuation five or seven, ten years down the road. And I think it's exactly what you have discussed here with some of your previous uh, you know episodes. It's the I would say exponential number of clients that they can get compared to our traditional model. So, so our number of clients that we can get as a as a B two B purely B two B industry is quite limited. And even though it's growing and it's growing fast, it's it's not growing nowhere near the speed with with which the semi professional or complete uh, like. Uh, non-professional market is growing. The YouTube creators, uh, all of that creator economy, where they are looking at tens of millions of people now, and they are going to be looking at hundreds of million people people later. So that's, I think, where you get to the valuation uh, that these companies can can get. And then I, 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 I think I see it from, uh, you know, when I look at their products, their product is not, I would say, only the music. I think the the, the product that they are uh, they are selling is not only the music. Of course, it's a big part, and they need to get great music, and it might be a, a slight of a you know problem for them to get that. But uh, it's the it's the platform that they are providing. That that that's uh, that's as much as the product as the music itself. You know, as it is for the Spotify. I mean, Spotify isn't just the music that they are providing, right? Because how would, how would they be different to Apple Music that has the same catalog of, uh, of, of music? What would be the difference? Well, the difference really is the product and the marketing, right? And I think in this sense, these disruptors are doing much better the job than most of the production music companies are doing. I totally agree, and I think uh, also one of the disadvantages that the old business model that we have, uh, uh, Juliet, you're um, providing music to France, and you have to 
build a website uh, that looks great and it has to be working properly, it has to compete with uh, the people that offer music globally, mm -hmm. and you can only do that for France. Yeah, if I decide to and stay in France, uh, Martin, for example, works in different territories, but uh, yes, you're right, you're right. I think and, 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 we're going to changes. No, sorry. I was just going to say that you know I am in different territories because of this because mm -hmm. my costs in you know like I, I want to have a platform uh, that that is you know that it, that can compete or even outcompete the the competitors and the disruptors. But to do that, I have to pay as much as they are paying for the platform, and they are working globally. So I can't pay that from the, the income I get from Czech Republic or Slovakia, which I don't want to say forces me, but uh, it, it pushes me to, to, to go to more territories to be able to, to, to pay for that. Because if I don't do that, then what is going to be my competitive advantage you know, five years down the road? If I'm just you know, locally in Czech Republic, I will not be able to compete on the product because the product will not be only the music. I will be able to compete on the music because I, I hopefully will still be, you know, sub-publishing a lot of the great catalogs that I do sub-publish now. But the the platform will be, I would say, the the, the big differentiator. So there's going to be consolidation on uh, where the indies are concerned. They have to work together. I think so. That's why I started. I think so too. <laughs> yeah. So Juliet, Juliet, you you gave the impression that you're thinking of. Uh, Moving out of France into other territories is no, in no, the no, same no, way no, that no, Martin no, is. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm not, I'm not. But uh, um, my partner in crime, um, Pierre Michel, does that. Uh, Bam is established in France, in UK, in Canada, and uh, in the US. So, yeah, I think it's it's uh, one of the solutions is for indies to be together and to to have partnerships to be to be bigger because uh, I think it's um, not possible anymore to stay alone on your own uh, with only one territory um, because the sub-publishing uh, contracts are more and more complicated because uh, we all face uh, you know license that are being given by uh, you know original publishers for the whole world like uh, the Netflix licenses and we we don't get anything from for for that uh, the the performing are bullshit sorry but it's it's very very small we cannot live with that so i think the the future for me is um, that the small catalogs uh, will have to you know, uh, uh, either they, they will sell the company to bigger ones or the, the independents will, uh, will uh, get together to become stronger and, and bigger and, and operate in uh, more territories. And, and maybe, maybe also, maybe as, a, as an industry, we can maybe achieve things, you know, as the, as the production music industry, because we, you know, I think one of the problems is that um, the disruptors, they have the possibility to license their music uh, worldwide. Uh, they, 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 they are free, and, and we are not. And I still think that we need people locally, you know. Uh, I don't think that someone can do the same job that I do 
locally in France, uh, if they were uh, in, uh, in Germany, in the, the US or elsewhere, it's impossible. So I, I, I strongly think that uh, we need people locally, but we have to find a way to work together um, and, and be uh, more free to, 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 to sell licenses, worldwide licenses, but um, find a way to live uh, of it, which is not the easiest part. But uh, Juliet, there's a question I want to ask. I've wanted to ask you. Um, I know we're running out of time a bit, so maybe it's too late to ask. But Fair and I were talking about this, and we came to the conclusion that the biggest disruptors might not have even shown themselves yet. And this might be commercial music. Traditionally, we supplied music because we were cheaper than commercial music, and we were we we were able to kind of fill in the gaps and things. We were instrumental. If commercial music woke up. They could knock us out of the off, out of the park, couldn't they? Not on every market. Um, I think that uh, the difference is that our music uh, always has the same price, which is not the case for a commercial track. Uh, you have to take uh, uh, into consideration the the, the ask of uh, the composer or the the writer. Um, so you cannot do whatever you want, and you cannot say, hey, here's uh, my music, uh, take whatever you want, it would be the same price for uh, each and every track. So um, I think that uh, the majors, for example, they have the possibility to give worldwide licenses, for example, for social media, they can do that, and we cannot. Uh, and that's something we have to to, to work on, because uh, I think we could have a great offer. So, uh, but... Um, of course, um, you know, uh, commercial music, um, they are impacted by the, the, the prices that we have, which are uh, lower. But uh, uh, what I see now is that everything is getting, getting down, you know, the, the sync rights are getting down and, and we are, we are um, having them following us, you know. So, so, of course, they are, in a way, they are taking our, our places, but... Um, uh, I don't think they are they are, they are the future disruptors. I don't think so. Yeah, if if I can just say, you know, like in in a lot of my territories that I operate in, the the mu music costs the same for the TVs to use, uh, no matter what it is. So they have a blanket licenses with uh, PROs both on the neighboring side and the P on the publishing side, which allows the TV productions to use whatever they want. And still we see a domination of production music uh, over the commercial music because yeah. it's it's just better suited for the uh, audiovisual productions uh, Well, in, that was in my point, Martin, so, with the, that if they woke up and started making themselves compete with us for what we, our functionality, uh, we would but, possibly be in trouble. Well, they already are, right? That's why you have the majors in the production music yes. who are owned by the majors uh, uh, in, in the, in the, and on the core, or core side. But uh, I don't think that they, you know, the labels, the record labels, uh, are going to uh, all of a sudden start making production music on their own. That's, that's not, their, not their business. And they have already their uh, production music sites to do that, right? So they are, in essence, already <laughs> dominating us because the majors have... Uh, very big share in the production music, right? I think what, what Simon um, meant, Martin, is that, for example, if there's um, uh, a hit coming out from a famous artist, what would happen if the record company was able to provide instrumental versions, stems, so the production company 
Right. No, I think it could definitely impact the, 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 the uh, like, let's say, the, the TV commercials and that, that side. I'm not so certain it would impact hugely the side of, uh, of uh, TV productions. Uh, but I, don't I think might the, be mistaken. The disruptors but, uh, are not making the, stink the distinction between commercial music and production music. They don't see... Right. It's just a semantic dis dis you know, distinction it, it, for it, them. It, it doesn't it, mean, yeah. mean anything to them. Again, it's the, one of those... The, the, if you don't see the problem, you don't have a problem. They don't see the problem. They don't have a problem. We see. We're talking about it now. We make it. We're kind of trying to grade this distinction between the two elements and calibrate it and work out which side of the fence we're going to be. They don't see the fence. They're just straight through it. So you know, that's what struck me talking to them. And um, I asked the question because I'm interested. You guys are really experienced, and you know what what your take is on this. And you're in slightly different territory, very different territories. Um, but I don't have I, an answer. I'm just the, asking the question. The disruptors, they see us uh, in the same uh, basket, you know, commercial music and production music, because for them we are all uh, registered at PROs, you know, and, and that's the difference for them, is the, the, the performing rights, the mechanical rights sometimes, that's the difference with them. So that's why they are mm -hmm. putting us uh, in, the, in, the, in the same in the same bag or basket, I don't know how to say that, but... Uh, My experience, yeah. Julia, is they're not interested in us. They don't... When we ask them, what do you think of us? They don't think of us. Yeah. We do this thing over there. No. They're doing their thing. They've got the big world, business to commute consumer. We've got the business to business area. They're not interested mm -hmm. particularly. They'll see that they'll drift there because a lot of these business to consumers, the consumers will become part of the business or some of them will, the top guys. So, again, right. they don't see the... The problem. <laughs> We're the ones who see the problem and, and, and sort of analyze it and come up with strategies. I, I actually think that you know, like I'm quite excited about you know what, what is going to come because I think that they have helped us uh, to discover that the the markets that could be you know that we could operate in are actually exponentially larger than we than we thought uh, you know. So uh, I think we, we we as production music companies we all lived in like fixed mindset that there is just like certain limit to the size and we are mainly. You know, like yes, it grows each year, but it grows five percent, maybe ten percent at the most. If you have a, like a really good year, I mean, the industry as a as a general, and all of a sudden we find that there might be a you know whole you know market that might be ten times, twenty times, fifty times bigger than the than the production music in in total. Uh, so I think that's you know, I think that's super exciting. I mean, of of course we can play it completely wrong. And that could happen. And certainly, it seems that it is a little bit happening like that at this moment. So uh, I think it's it's uh, it's on us to to maybe change that, you know, and uh, and steal part of that uh, market for us, because then, uh, you know, even a small share of that market could actually be much bigger than what we are having now. Very honestly, I think it's a very positive uh, ending of this uh, post podcast. Uh, so thank you very much for that. And Martin, next time you speak to Einer, you can tell him that it hasn't gone downhill anymore. It's now on top of the hills. <laughs> and we're looking down on the first episode. I thought it was a very, uh, very nice uh, talk with you guys. Thank yeah. you. Very interesting. Thank you very much for your time and your input. Thank you. Thank you. It was very yeah. nice. You. Very interesting. Great stuff. Lots of food for thought for us and our listeners, I'm sure. Thank you. Thank you very much for having us here. It's, it was a pleasure. And we hope to meet soon in, in real life. Yes, very soon. Yeah. yeah. The paracetamol up. Yeah. Yeah. Ah. <laughs> Bye, guys. Bye, guys. Bye, -bye. Bye. Thank you. See you. <laughs>